0: Hello friends, I'm your host, Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured, for better and sometimes worse, across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Nick,
1: how are you, my friend? Chris, it's been a while trying to set this up, hasn't it?
0: (laughs) It has, brother. And I'm well aware that, you know, you've you um you've been through some challenges. We we won't talk about that now, but let me just say I, I feel for you.
1: You think about it, though, Chris, it, we're all living under a death sentence in reality. There's no appeal process. You don't know which day you're going to die. And yet we live in defiance of this reality as if we have a million days ahead of us. So it's a really fascinating thing that, yes, I... I spent 22 years under the sentence of death waiting to be executed. And it taught me to appreciate being alive like you could never imagine. When I was sentenced to die at the age of 20 and 21, I fully believed that I had only one duty. And that was to learn how to speak for myself on the day that they executed me. I had a mental challenge that was enormous just to survive. But the only thing that I wanted to do was to learn how to become a beautiful speaker so that the day that they put me to death, I didn't embarrass myself.
0: I remember once uh, I think I was watching a film. It was about some guy's life and it was here in the UK and they were hanging people still. We don't we don't have that punishment anymore, unlike the uh, states in the US or certain states in the US and. And it was all so quick and it was all so final. The the warder like walked into his cell, went, Okay, right, stand up. And the, and the guy said he said, drink that. And the guy just like automatically drank this. I don't know what the hell it was. Went right, come. And without getting into the you know, horrible detail, I challenge anyone not to feel in that moment just the sheer horror of it. They marched
1: a couple of men right past my cell and took them to the execution chamber. And in that moment, there's an energy of death that's real. It's hard to describe. But when you see a human being being led for their last few steps past your door, it's remarkable. It makes you wonder, you know, how close am I? Or how am I going to react if, if strong arms grab me and lead me to my death?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one thing dying, isn't it? You know, of old age or illness or to be led there at that, the hands of your fellow humans. is is There's something really dark about that.
1: Yeah, this is what drove me not to be so afraid of it. I I only had one wish, Chris. I swear to God, I just wanted to speak eloquently for myself while they robbed me of my life. I didn't think I'd ever make it at times. So I decided the most clever thing that I could do, learn how to forgive them, tell the world who I am, and find meaning in the moment, and all without faltering and making an embarrassing moment of myself. I wasn't going to beg and plead for mercy. I wasn't going to waste my time in anger. I was going to do whatever I could do in about 2.5 minutes of speaking. I came up with the analogy of being like a neutrino that passes through the earth from the sun and how these particles pass through the hardest surfaces and we're all ignorant to what this really is just like they were ignorant of who I was and how in that ignorance I could forgive them. Like I didn't want to go deep but I didn't want to go soft and stupid. I felt like I had a chance to make a statement about who I was and I strove for that. The other alternative is you become gripped with fear as they strap you into the electric chair. Remember I was such a young person. They are going to the following. They were going to transport me to Rockview State Prison in Pennsylvania, shave my head, my testicles, and my legs, and then they were going to stick a sponge down my crotch, a sponge on top of my head, sponges on my ankles, and hook electrodes to all of them, along with the ones on my arms. And I would strap They would strap me into an electric chair that had 22,000 volts of electricity coursing through it at some point soon. I had this notion that I had to sit upright and face everyone when I spoke. This was so serious to me. I had no hope of surviving. There was no DNA. No one clever cared about me. I was 20-some years old when I decided I couldn't face my death. Broken.
0: Would it have been different if you were guilty because, of course, you were innocent?
1: I don't know. All I do know is that when you're having everything taken from you, you have a choice. You either come to the conclusion that you make meaningfulness out of whatever's left or you don't.
0: Yeah, it's. I don't want to make this about me, but I had a situation once in uh, Hong Kong. I was working in an, uh, in a nightclub. Uh, most of the nightclubs in Hong Kong are run by the uh, the triad syndicates, uh, except for the ones that are still run by Westerners. Um, I was in the former, and just through, let's just call it happenstance. One night I was standing there like in my position on the door and circumstances just they just build it up to the point where like I knew I was gonna be executed. Uh it, it I won't go into the reasons why people can read my book if they're if they're they're that interested, but like I genuinely believed this was my final moments on earth. And, and then I put, you know, a few twos and twos together. And then I just started smiling. I'm not going to die in terror. You know, if I'm going to, I'm going to die with a smile on my face.
1: No. And it's fascinating how we process it and use it for betterment. So you were describing, I always call it the white, moment everything goes white I had a pistol pulled in my face like that when that officer as you know I escaped from death row in 1985 while being transported to court and the officer without hesitation pulled a gun out on me and fired a, a 357 Magnum round right past my face there was no hesitating no yelling halt police none of that it was in a fairly really difficult situation, like you said, where that moment came, right? Fast forward 2022 in January. I flip a vehicle over. Both my dogs get shot out of the window, and I survive without much more than a few scratches. Can't explain it. I'm laying in bed talking to my friend Jason in Los Angeles, describing what happened, as I would be sitting here talking to you now. And he goes, Nick. You almost died, how come you're not freaking out? And I said, Jason, when you've almost died the first time, you'll always remember that. When you've nearly died a second or third times, it'll scare you. But when this has happened to you about a dozen times, you don't go at it with fear. You step back and you're like and you And it's a strange thing that you were describing. You take a moment from that fear and then you go back and then you're like almost lackadaisical laughing about how you scared yourself because you know you're dying anyway, somewhere in your psyche.
0: Yeah. It's like you become the observer in the situation rather than the kind of victim. It's brilliant, isn't it? Mm.
1: And when you come out the other side, you start appreciating so much. I've been gifted. Um, I've had so much trauma aimed at me. I've, I should have not survived. Um, A lot of things happened to me. I'll never forget one night when the prison was overrun during a riot and the officers got terrorized out of the jail and they left us laughingly. They locked the gates on our block, knowing that our block was connected to the building that was on fire. Shouting that they were going to enjoy themselves some barbecue on the way out the door and we could all go fuck ourselves. Prison is the complete opposite of society in three very distinct ways. One, out here, everyone frivolously splashes their humor, I mean, their um, freedom about with their anger. Anger is not under control, it is on display. People splash it about like it's a vintage, and they really don't get that. In prison, you have to operate and function 24 hours a day in control of your anger, or someone will send you to the ER. Out here, people will talk about your family and your status in society, why you're here, who you are, ad infinitum. In prison, you never talk about why someone is there or about their family or who they are out here people will be instantly judgmental about you and make castigations about you and say things either before your face or behind your back as much as they delight because they feel a right to be so in prison no one passes judgment without bloodshed
0: it's quite similar nick to when i was in the forces i've commented on this a few times in the forces, I mean, it might be different now. Things seem to have softened, softened up in life in general. But back in my day, like you had to be careful what you said to who. You yep. just did. Even if some, some guy was like completely wrong. If he's six foot three and, you know, 230 pounds and he's, you know, a bit of a psychopath. He's just going to like, like, you know, pummel you, right? right? You know, and yet uh, to the, uh, you know, uh, in a different scenario, there were times you, you, you just had to fight. You know, you had to fight as a sort of matter of honor. It was quite normal. If you fell out with someone, you usually, you went and fought it out. A, A big thing for me is when I, entered civilian life is like i had to learn this isn't the way like you know even though oh my god the thing is because it's not the way in civilian life because people are so so protected because people think they can just say what they want to anybody that they want whether that's you know on a keyboard on the internet or or in It lets people develop like a false sense of what's right and wrong and bravado. Yeah. And people
1: are, they've done, we've done this before in society. We've done psychological studies on women who drive large pickup trucks and how aggressive they got in America. A woman um, who gets behind a 7,000 pound vehicle with so much power Unleashes that power more often than not. Why? Because in her personal life and society structure, she would never brush past you in line. She would excuse herself. She would recognize her timid nature or whatever, right? Now we're seeing the on the onset of the effects of what has been generational for the internet. We've lost a lot of our developmental hesitancies. Um, There's a full-on disregard for human safety with products, images, and and, uh, simulated behaviors from the ice bucket challenge to whatever it is. You know what I mean? And in real time, we're watching as there's an intimacy of your personal thoughts being held, being erased. It's like Most people can't have a moment or thought unless it's somehow meaned, shared as an image or a post. And they're otherwise not able to actually do these things without it being tied to social media, because it doesn't seem like it feels like it has any meaning.
0: It's a false validity, isn't it? Yeah, but
1: that's what we're dealing with. Whether we like it or not, we're a species like turkeys and, you know, albatross and whatever. We don't like that notion that we're a species and across the board and across the spectrum, we're developed in a certain way. We'd love to see ourselves as not being attached to that, that we're so individualized. We're certainly not this person while we're holding the phone in our hand, while our necks are being bent forward because we're not looking up anymore and in 100 years what are we going to look like you know i don't know but i do know that we're no different than every other species on this planet and we learn to adapt and we learn to environmentally change with this uh, adaptions, don't we
0: it's like take a you know a cross section of say instagram you're seeing these incredible videos and you know there's no taking away from the fact they're incredible i watched one this morning It's this guy, right? He's not diving into water in the, you know, the traditional sense. He's literally developed this belly, what we call, we'll call a belly flop. Uh, He actually kind of like cramps his body up. So he enters the water and I think he covers his face. And he went for 30 days and each day he got a meter higher or it's 40 days to eventually he's, he's, like 30 meters up and he's doing this crazy dive in all these different beautiful scenarios like rivers, lakes, locks, swimming pools. And, and that's incredible. And then you see, you know, somebody walking in the nature in some country and it's so beautiful. And the music's playing and they enter this Nirvana and you're just like, Oh my God, girl, go, you know, you're living. And, what the young people are being denied is the fact that that's not paradise that's just experiences and that the paradise that you're seeking through this social media it's it's within you you know right it starts within and you must have you mu- must have had to reconcile with this nick in in your 22 yeah, years I
1: so I, I have this strange phenomenon where I've been stalked because of the internet. I've had amazing interactions. Um, I have a friend who follows me on Instagram from Tibet. And I have one of the greatest pleasures of my life of blasting his folk songs all over Oregon at three o'clock and four o'clock in the morning one night because he was playing. And I woke up And I heard this amazing playing because it said, your friend ARD is live on Instagram. I clicked on it. The next thing I knew, he was playing Western music. And then I got involved and started telling him that I was sharing his music. He began playing Tibetan folk songs for me in his native language. And I stuck my speakers out the window of my RV and I blasted the music to 10 And all of my neighbors were delighted at 5 o'clock in the morning to hear this amazing young man perform music they would have never otherwise encountered. Incredible. So it is. The internet is incredible. That's a great word because as much as it can be credible, it always has to be taken as incredible now. We are getting to the point of trickery to a level never seen before where we can be lured into believing things are genuinely as we believe them to be, only to be in full. So we have to learn this next phase of social media interactions of incredibleness. We can be so susceptible to going around and repeating negative, terrible things, the turnout could be absolutely false.
0: That's the conundrum of the internet, isn't it? It gives you this access to all this information and it also can put you in an echo chamber where everything that starts getting fed back to you confirms your bias. Hmm. And that's uh that's a dangerous thing. I just think the thing with all this like celebrity and flashy photos and People taking their pictures with, with rock stars and, and diving into blue lagoons and da 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 da. da. You know, it doesn't, it, it negates the fact that no, paradise is like when you wake up in the morning, even if you don't get out of bed and you do nothing for the day, you should still be in paradise. I, I
1: literally live your message right now. Hmm. I am homeless. I live out of a car. I have um, serious medical issues going on with the people who usually help me. I've been struggling with work because of the rain. I've not achieved what I thought would be housing or stability yet. And every day, I'm exceedingly polite and happy to be alive. If If you think about it, now is the time not to lament and prove yourself de- deserving of the good by how you handle it in grace.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Gratitude. Right. How can I
1: say I I earn anything if I'm willing to just be so negative because I'm not getting it yet? Kind of flies in the face of that whole thing, you know?
0: I love the way this conversation's going, but I'm also aware that we haven't told your story. So, People are
1: very savvy. You can do a a nice brief synopsis of me if you wish. I like it that this turned into Chris and Nick hanging out, having all these amazing conversations, and it doesn't mean shit where we came from.
0: Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen.
1: I love that. You know, for you to have gone out and put your life on the line in service, it takes a hell of a remarkable sense of yourself. But to come back from that edge of the blade, through all the tumultuous feelings that it might at times felt so unloved or cared about, I respect the hell out of you, man. You've earned that from me. So may this be a small grace for all those days that there might have been no one saying this. Chris, thank God you got guys like you out there that are willing to step up because look at the mayhem on the other side when no one steps up.
0: Yeah, the irony then, Nick, is my stepping up isn't didn't come from my military service, although, you know, I did see conflict. It was making sense of my childhood trauma. Yep. You That's know, who we are, man. And coming through the other side and and Putting the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together, albeit it's taken me quite a quite a journey. Um, I reckon with a good teacher or a master, you I wouldn't have had to go on the journey that I had, but my parents' generation didn't know this shit. They nope. just literally knew how to work nine to five every single day of their, you know, physical able life, get, two weeks holiday in the summer and one week at Christmas and believe the politicians, that was like literally the, the, okay. You know, there was a few chestnuts. Um, there was a few chestnuts thrown in by my parents along the way. Um, remember my, my dad told me, this is just a silly aside, but he'd finished with a girlfriend and he really loved this girl she was like the most beautiful girl when they all grew up and he had a relationship with her and she was the one. And then one day she wrote to him, she said, "Um, um I found someone else. <laughs> right. <laughs> that kind of, when you're that age, especially when you've come from a, a, you know, a difficult background yourself. I mean, my dad's dad died, I think when he was 14 and you know, my dad was, crucified by it and he went on a holiday with his friend they went down to Cornwall I think they were camping and they were in a pub and they were sat there and there were two girls playing darts and it got to the point where one girl she needed like double six to finish the game and she turned around to my dad and she said, oh, excuse me, could you could you throw this for me? And my dad went, y- okay, yeah, sure. And he stepped up and he's, double six. <laughs> and he said, at that moment, I never thought about the other girl ever again. Not I don't mean like he went to this girl. I mean, y- 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 you know, The moral of the story is like there's so much out there for us, you know, there's so much out there for us and we can put all our eggs in one basket and get all upset about that. And then there's, there's a big, there's a big world.
1: In a very ruinous way. I held a secret from my childhood about being attacked as a young boy at the age of seven. And when I told my parents at the age of 24 while sitting on death row, what had happened to me as a boy their reaction shocked me. My mother burst out with the words, oh, thank God, we blamed ourselves. We thought it was us.
0: When I crashed in Hong Kong, I was literally like homeless on the pavement, chronically mentally unwell. It wasn't good. The the, the, the doctors said, like, I'd never recover. and. When I came back to the UK, my family had to go through all of this, you know, it wasn't you know, they weren't familiar with it. They didn't even know what a drug looked like. Da da yeah. da, da 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 And um they were like, Oh. It's the bloody Marines, wasn't it? It's the Marines that did this to you. do you know what I mean? They they were so yes. like immediately they want to seize upon of course. they want to seize upon something that discharges their their responsibility and and but isn't it funny you know ego just works in a really bizarre way
1: yeah because i i realized the trail of damage i did with my secrecy and it was a terrible feeling inside to know that someone else was carrying a burden that you created with your own blinders because you know there's no way you could see any of that and then It transitioned from there. It felt like once I had gotten to the point of being able to get that out, get my parents to self-suffering from it, my development as a person took off exponentially. I went and studied psychology for the next six years. I became proficient in DNA studies. I was the first man on death row to seek DNA testing, prove my innocence. I wrote. Hundreds and hundreds of letters. I was a very proficient uh, legal mind and I got others off the death row. It's like, if I have any advice for any person who's carried a great deal of a burden of a secret, is that I promise you is that on the other side of letting go of that is all the energy it took to hold on to that. You get what I mean? When you it takes so much energy to hold on to a compressed secret for so long. When you let go of it, all that energy's freedom. Mm. And that freedom takes off and you can do so many things.
0: Nick, was it um you know, I watch a lot of these kind of crime documentaries. I do question whether I should be watching them. I don't know how much
1: I they wouldn't like- do it. Yeah, I
0: don't they're know how much
1: they your... Chris are eating away at your empathy.
0: Yeah, it's like they lower your vibration, right? I
1: listen to me, I know you. If me and you are walking down the alley and we hear someone in distress, we both pop into action. Hmm. Correct?
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: But you're being put into a situation where your response is not mandated. You're in fact helpless to do anything you have to sit there and then mm-hmm. your brain is getting triggered and all that but you're not reacting and then after a while it becomes desensitized you no longer feel i lived in the cell next to men who ate other human beings butchered children butchered women butchered the elderly for sport like i've been around some real monsters I don't need to watch a television show to know that they're real.
0: I live next to them. What yeah, are they? I, uh, what, what's the thing with these? I was going to say guys, but you know, guys and women. Uh, like you see them when they're in court and they're giving their evidence and or their their defense and like. Are they fucking dorks or something? They, they're no, telling man. the judge. They're telling the judge that look, I cleaned up society of the, these these, yeah, sex wo- right. these sex workers. These sex workers, and
1: he- what happens is they adopt a sense of reality so desperate it doesn't matter how cockamamie it is to them. They need it. Hmm. You see this way here. Gary Heidnik didn't abduct six black women and put them in a pit under his house. No, he was doing God's work. He was creating a master race. See how fucked up it is. Hmm. So you can justify anything then. As long as you, as long as you can convince yourself, if as long as you're weak enough to convince yourself of an alternative truth, you can make up anything, from a political party to mass uh, genocide.
0: What about the effects on your health, Nick, of of being in that system for that long? I mean, you, I mean, for example, you don't get a choice what what you can eat, do you? With it, with, you know, within certain boundaries.
1: Yeah. No, I had to survive off of peanut butter, tuna fish, refried beans, and other items from the commissary. I rarely ate uh, the prison food because I got sick a few times doing so um, I survived numerous amounts of food poisoning in there I had to live in a unfiltrated water system where I had to save water during the summer months so I could survive the rainfalls that would flush the farm waste into the water system so literally had brown water in the toilets and I lived through some crazy things because I don't know how I made it they made me have over 50 cage fights on death row for their amusement. Make me pulverize and beat another man who didn't have any chance against me or go up against monsters that should have smashed my head in, but I survived. When I think about it all now, I'm just grateful. I'm like you, man. I came back from the white moments that fear and everything else stands still. And you can still go back there and touch it again. You know that I'm talking about. It'll never not be real to us. And we go from that moment to this incredible sense of ourselves now, where we're actually out here helping people.
0: It's a great feeling, you know? What's it like, Nick, then, when you when, when you got your freedom? Is I mean, just to give you an idea um i remember when we used to go on tour in the military and you're away from your family i mean it could be three and a half months it could be five it could be six i think in the u.s it can be a year or even two years where where, we you know if if you're in combat i just remember it's not long before you just start to crave being at home you just start yep. fantasizing about the day when that plane lands and you step off it or uh yeah. it, w- we came back from norway we came back on a ferry and you just all you can think about is like seeing your family and your friends and putting on civilian clothes and going to the pub and 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 you know it, it, it's kind of weird it's almost like you do a job that that in reality, you don't really want you know, you'd 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 rather be at home, which is kinda of crazy. Um so I, I mean I remember that that feeling of stepping off a plane or stepping off a train and um but I, I mean that's not twenty two years with a death sentence hanging over your head.
1: Every now and again I look up at the nighttime sky and I can't catch my breath. Here I am. 19 years after I've been released, and like a child, I can't stop being mesmerized by the nighttime sky. So, or, I like this one, Chris, I'm driving along, and like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get this notion, I'm looking off, and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm a million miles away from it all now. I'm so far removed from the torture and the pain and the suffering physically. It's way back there in America. It's way back there in my memory. I have this unique thing now where I don't have any kind of PTSD from what I went through. It's like a film that I watched a bunch of times. you know? I know the intricacies of the dialogue of the script, but it's, no longer anything meaningful.
0: I mean, the U S is, it's kind of like the wild West, isn't it? The philosophy there, you know, the UK is just pretty screwed up. That's not, I'm not trying to pretend it's not, but we kind of like a, a bit refined through our history, but in the U S and, and don't get me wrong. Like I love Americans probably more than any other country. The, Americans I've met that I've worked with that I travel with that I skydive with that I've flown airplanes with beautiful kind generous people almost like a bit naive and a bit you know a bit like too nice if that doesn't make sense but but then you've also you know you you got the racism thing there which is Not 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 with all Americans, obviously, but like I I was in I was in Florida doing my pilot license and the way I heard some people speak was like whoa. And then you got the the whole gun thing, and I'm not like I'm not against guns. I think they're like quite a good thing. But it is funny. I mean I you you mentioned people getting carried away. A, A video came across my path a few days ago. It was a road rage incident. Some like SUV had nudged another one, and they both pulled over to the side of the road. And the woman got out and started firing shots.
1: (laughs) America was developed as a frontier nation. And as such, it had a very wild side. Lawlessness, wild areas, uncontrollable. We're children. We don't recognize our youth as Americans. We're only 250, 275 years old in its current configuration. We think we know it all. We have the best weapons. We have all the best technology. You can't tell us anything. We don't even need a passport. We have it all. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. On the other side of it is the other individuals you've met who say, oh, my God. Get me out of here. This shit's going wild. America is a melting pot of idiocy, brilliance, and determination. And by that, I mean there are a cream of the cream of the cream of higher learning, education, sophistication going on while the dumbing down of America takes hold. And it's a shocker. When you can understand this dichotomy, you can see why it's so perplexing to try and describe how people are in this country of the United States. One of the things that I've found is that those individuals who are traveled understand and they're easy to bond with and get along with. Those who stay in a very narrow bandwidth and they never change lanes, You don't really need to encounter them to know what they're going to come up with. It's a regurgitation of either right-wingism, left-wingism, or this new phase of don't-careism. Just for the sake of having any kind of demonstration, they don't care. They just will join forces with any group just because they have something to care about then. I left the United States because I need help. With my brain injury The United Kingdom affords me The opportunity to get healthcare I really don't know what My next plot and plan Is going to turn into be Trying to get a documentary Made about my friend with cancer I'm trying to do podcasting To try and hopefully stay alive I've been working but it's been raining And you can't do landscaping in the rain So I look at it this way, Chris. Everything else has sort of set me up to be in this moment, hasn't it? So why flinch. How'd you get here today? A thousand different steps, right, soldier?
0: We've only got the moment, haven't we? True, man. We worry about so much other shit that's not going to (laughs) happen. Or it might happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And if it happens, we'll deal with it. I
1: like it that at least I'm going forward with the notion that I'm only trying to do good. I love the fact that one of the things that I experienced is I got convicted of the rape and murder of a woman I never met at the age of 21. I spent 23 years on death row waiting for that moment to be paid for in punishment. During the process, I learned how to become Someone that I could love. And I'm actually grateful that I was having a whole system try to murder me so I could learn to love myself. Because now, as I go through my life, I'm never in that lonesomeness, need of someone else's validation for me. I'm never in that moment where I, I don't feel okay unless someone's holding my hand through all this.
0: I see this on the podcast. You know, I try to invite some guests on. And he even gets to the point where they agree to come on. We've got a day, and I've sent them the invitation link, and they won't come on. And and it's trauma, Nick. You know, they they're they're suffering what's called PTSD. They're suffering trauma. They, they're so worried. And all I can think is like they're so worried what people might think which is just irrelevant because I don't think anyone really gives a shit about a podcast. They usually get quite, you know, they're over and done with and buried. But it's that trauma and it's triggering the flight or fight mechanism constantly. Um, Maybe
1: you should do this with them. Maybe in the future, ask them to just do a recording with you and let them review it. If they're happy then, Mm -hmm. then they can continue on. Like you said, it's that control factor. Once they've done something, they have no control, so they're fearful. And if I do this, I have no control, and he's going to make me look stupid. So, I know. Exactly. It's like dealing dealing with a blind person. They don't want to be embarrassed in public because they, they will stumble.
0: They don't want to be embarrassed in public, period. To be honest, anybody, our guests always come first on this show anyway. But I did like exactly think about what you said, just saying, look, dude, let's just do the show and you can, you know, you can review it. And uh, yes, we'll have to keep that in mind for the future.
1: Yeah, because it's a control factor. (laughs) If you offer a little bit more control to someone who's going through trauma, more often than not, they'll gravitate towards that. Mm. So it's that sense of controlling it. Okay. And then they, they could say, well, can we do this part? I like this part. Can we? That's okay with me. And that person will actually get healing next time because they're offering the parts, not the whole thing. You know, I mean? I, you know, so that would really be a fascinating thing to see happen and wonder how it, it affects them speaking about it going forward my dream is this because I, I just want to stop people from killing themselves so down when well, i learned people have given up and killed themselves because i did that and i want to shout at them don't i did it
0: it's not worth it look how much happened since then yeah it's a big thing in the military community nick yeah i know that's why that's
1: why i was trying to work with the trump administration with the Biden administration, anybody Let me talk to the soldiers. That's what I kept saying. I wrote to them. I begged them for help. I wanted to work with them to help people not kill themselves. Because in America alone, 7,000 servicemen a year kill themselves. 7,000 suicides a year. It was so bad in in, uh, Hawaii at one point. They were shutting down the military installation because they were wondering why they're killing themselves so often.
0: The the my most recent friend to kill him kill himself, he left behind four kids, you know, and Good it was man. just so stupid. And it, it, not, I'm not saying he was stupid. He was obviously in a lot of pain. No, I don't. but I'm not saying that this is just an easy way out. But it was like, mate, if you just pick up the phone, come and stay. You know, just come and stay as long as you like. Let's have some takeaways, let's get some beers, you know, let's watch some good films. We'll go out for walks, we'll have a laugh i'll 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 impart my my uh my humble wisdom to you. but to be in that place it's well it's beyond it's it's I mean you've obviously been there, Nick i I' sort of like kind of been there, but like I'm quite lucky. That I like his net. Yeah, I don't know. All been tested,
1: man. I know what you're saying. Look, we've all been pushed. We've all been tested. We all feel it. But he went through with it, man, and that's the terrible thing. hmm. And you know what really bothers me? Someone like Robin Williams. Here's a genteel man. You could never imagine him harming another person, right? And the manner in which he killed himself was one of the most brutal and vulgar you can imagine. He butchered himself, didn't he? That's a goddamn shame. Mm.
0: When
1: I think about that, that's what that shows you. It's so much hidden anger. So much anger. So yeah, if anybody's listening to this and you struggle with thoughts of ending your life, we all go through that shit. Let that don't let that be a big deal. I, I've I've had people that would go into serious denial. I've never thought that bullshit. We all think about it. We all go through it at times. It's part of being mortal. We don't have forever. We wonder about it. We think about it. We even push the envelope with our stupid behaviors and not even acknowledge that it's suicidal. Driving a motorbike at 140 miles an hour and thinking you're just having a laugh. No. You're borderline suicidal, young man. Okay, so it comes down to this. Just own it. Own it that life is tough and that you don't have it easy at times because if you're willing to own it like that, you don't drive yourself crazy. Because it's the times that we don't want to own it, that we fight against these things, that we drive ourselves to the point. Like you said, Chris, it doesn't take much to really just let go. But we're all out here trying, man. Mm.
0: Nick, did you have contact with the other guys on death row or do they strictly keep you like segregated?
1: 22 hours at 23 hours and 24 hours a day lockup every day.
0: Get any access to drugs?
1: No, blessedly. And I didn't want to go that route. I was striving so hard to become a master of my own death. Yeah, hmm. so I was in a, in a level five unit where everything was searched every day. Everything was. I was in hard work.
0: Do you know what I mean? And Nick, sorry, just tell it. You're involved with Reprieve. Is are you still doing that?
1: No. So that was
0: a wonderful gift. At one point, I was working for Sir
1: Clive, Clive Stafford Smith, and it was a real treat to go around and help UK nationals who were facing the death penalty around the world. That's the organization's aim. If you as a UK national face the death penalty, they're not going to go out and protest. They're going to get a lawyer and come help you. So no, I've, uh, I'm trying to go back to writing and I'd like to go back to speaking my dream ultimately is to go to Ireland, but I don't know anyone there. I'm trying to get housing set up there or somewhere to go. That's all I wanted to do. Now I'm, I i can not stay in here in England any longer, so I got to go somewhere, don't I?
0: Nick, if you don't want me asking, I'm guessing you, you got a, you know, compensation over o- over the years. Is what 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 no. happens to money like this?
1: No, man, I got. See, that's the misnomer. I got 3 million US dollars at the time that the currency exchange was 1.9 to the pound. I then went through divorce, got half of my money taken from me, and went through child custody battles that eviscerated all my money. So I ended up losing everything. I have generously bought others' houses and wasted my time trying to be with others only to have all my marriages blow up in my face. So
0: there you go. And what about your books? books? How do your books do? I'm
1: waiting on Amazon to pay me now. I don't have a publisher. I've lost everything. So mm-hmm. I, the COVID wiped me out, Chris. I lost everything and I've, I've I lived in the woods for the last three years in Oregon. And at the beginning of this year, I gave away my RV to a family that had a uh, handicapped child. And I came back to the United Kingdom and start over.
0: Do you like it in the UK?
1: Absolutely. Chris, every street in America, there's at least one gun. At least. I mean, every single street in America, there's a gun. Not here. Not yet. (laughs) No, but that's the crazy thing. You don't understand the overwhelming nature where I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where they have 500 homicides a year in one city. Now, that's of a population of only about two and a half million people. Chris. 500 murders a year is almost two a day, man. Mm. That's because everybody has guns and everybody's angry and everybody's geeked up and they're firing and shooting and killing. We just had one guy come out on the street and decide he was going to streets with the whole city clean of what he decided was undesirables. And he shot 25 people.
0: I just had a great podcast with a couple of guys called the Duran and and, it was all kind of serious stuff that's going on and they do a lot of like politics i i'm not like i get it all i i know it all but i'm not in i i'm just interested in the spiritual battle because you know no one else yeah, has got a way better. no one else has got a way out of all this except me and and clearly you nick you know i kind and, of figured um, it
1: out a little brother
0: yeah and until we start it's ex- in until we realize that we're in, we're in the control of psychopaths, they're just trying to divide and control us and keep us in fear and ego. Um, You know, we've got to sort that problem and stop voting for them. Well, voting for their puppets, I mean. We've got to start teaching the kids that, that you're beautiful and you're perfect and you don't need to, like, change things about your body because you might feel a bit different or... That's fine. We're all we're all different. We have all got weird shit going on. It's it's cool. Just you you'll learn to love that. And uh you we yo, know, we gotta develop this society, Nick. You, 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 you know, because there's otherwise no every everything else is just tokenistic.
1: Chris, there's no alternative. We have to do good. Mm. It's just it's as simple as that to me. When I thought about this, one um, statistic, what is it? 20% of the human beings on the planet do all of the good for the world. And yet it's nearly overwhelming us at times. So if that's the true thing, instead of mentally looking at it, join forces with the good. The more people join in forces with doing good, soon enough, the balance still keep coming back. We're a species, and we're affected by the ones that are making the nest and building and developing and the engineers and all of it. So it's a strange thing that we can look around and see all of the negative and all of the chaos, but every time out there's beauty. So it's what we want, Um, isn't it?
0: Nick, just to finish on one point, and I hate to finish on something that's so cliché, but it's obviously... A thing in our society you probably know the question that i'm or the the issue i'm thinking about what what is there any right or wrong when it comes to taking someone else's life depending on what what their crime is
1: oh no see that's the that's a human and, and that's our uh fallacy If you believe that there are certain uh, thresholds for when you can exterminate another human being, then remember to sign your own children up for that. You see, a lot of people who pontificate about supporting the death penalty, especially in America, if their child they've shown, um, if their child was arrested for those crimes that they see others being put on death row, they no longer support the death penalty. In fact, they're trying to get their son or daughter off of death row and they're trying to protect them from the death penalty. So what I learned about this is this, um, we need a structure of penology to protect us from violence. What we do to a person Inside of those prison cells is a reflection of us. So I'm going to put someone to death because they killed someone to teach them that killing is wrong. No, it's, it's strange. I know a lot of people have opinions on it, and you'll probably get a lot of responses to this. But people wouldn't notice unless you've been around it. But I wasn't afraid of death row. What I feared was the wheel. The wheel never ends, Chris. Life imprisonment without the possibility of parole is the coldest, most draconian thing you could think of doing. Call it the wheel because it's endless. You, as the individual in the hub of the wheel, get to watch all of your loved ones grow old and die before your eyes while all of the prisoners around you keep getting younger and stronger. I love it that we've come to this point where we've said so much without even trying.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, been-
1: nice it's, a, it's a really different thing I've done today. I I wasn't sharing a podcast. It was you and I finally catching up after months of trying to catch up, and it was going to be this, whether there was a camera between us or not.
0: It's a real shame that some people watching this are just going to complain. They don't see the beauty in... Uh, in this kind of, yeah, you know, don't list.
1: understand people though; they might really just love this because.
0: Oh, most no people. Nick, most yeah. people will then uh, literally ninety-nine point nine percent will. But such is the power of the dopamine brainwashing that you know, people hey, just I want blood, listen. blood, blood, guts
1: and gore. Look at the seagull sitting on my man's car. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it doesn't even know it's there. Yeah. Those little fuckers wake, wake us up every morning. Well, in fact they don't because yeah. I get up, I tend to get up earlier than them, but they wake a lot of people up. We're a seaside, seaside town. So yes, Nick, yeah, listen, brother, it, 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 it's, it's been a great chat. And uh, the first of many, I hope friends, uh, yeah. uh, 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 at home. um, when we have Nick back on the show, put some questions below and I'll write them down and we will, you know, we'll we'll have another another chat again. Um, Nick, stay on the line just so I can thank you properly and um, and we can have a little chat. But uh, yeah, well done, brother. You're a, thank you, sir. You know, it's 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 good that there's people like you. On my planet.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way, Chris. Thanks for making these efforts because you're, you're uh, actually, you got a little bit of work ahead of you to catch up to me because I'm a little bit older than you. So you've got some work. We're going to be heavyweights chance for the kindness Yeah,
0: Friends at home, chuck us a like and a subscribe and uh, much love to you all. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.